the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Thursday, February 11th. Derek Van Riper here with Michael Beller. We have our first guest of the 2021 season joining us today from ESPN and Roto Grinders. It's Derek Cardi. Derek, of course, is the creator of the Bat Projection System, which you've probably seen on Fangraphs and Roto Grinders over the last few years. It is the most accurate projection system in the game, right? Two out of the last three years, Derek. Because congrats, man. That's a it's an awesome, awesome two year achievement there yeah i appreciate it um it's uh it's been really cool seeing it seeing it come out on top especially this last year with uh with the upgrades with the bad x seeing that beat even the aggregate systems was uh was was very nice to see i was very happy about that yeah so the bad x was new last year and at least on fan graphs we only saw hitter projections from it and i wanted to ask you what was new with the bat X, what were the twists? What were the new inputs and, and factors that were being considered that weren't previously part of the bat? Yeah, so essentially, it's all the the cool new Statcast stuff that you see um, analysts talking about, but that, as far as I knew, really hadn't been going into any projection system to to any real extent. And I don't want to speak necessarily for anyone else; like maybe it is going into someone's, um, but that was kind of my understanding of it. I knew it wasn't going into the bat. And so the bat for years has been really good, but it uses, you know, the more traditional stats. The bat X incorporates barrels and launch angles and sprint speeds and exit velocities and all different kind of ways of, uh, you know, chopping those up and analyzing those to find kind of the, the most predictive ways of using those things. And, uh, you know, it, it wound up doing really well. So, so, <laughs> you know, very happy. Yeah, definitely, uh, to, to say the least, wound up doing very well and something that uh, all of us are using as a tool as we're preparing for this 2021 season. And safe to say, uh, it's it's become a tired cliche at this point. Preparing for the 2021 season is preparing for a season unlike any that we have prepared for in any of our time playing fantasy baseball, just getting ready for the baseball season period, fantasy or no. What individual uh, challenges have you faced? What unique challenges, I think, is the better way to say that, have you faced in projecting for 2021 based on the 2020 numbers? Well, I mean, one of the biggest things is, uh, do you project a National League DH? And we still have no idea. It's the middle of February. We have no idea if National League teams are going to have eight or nine hitters in their lineup. Like, how crazy is that? So like figuring that out, figuring out what the league run environment is going to be, which the league has kind of given us some indication now, which is nice. Um, but like obviously 2020, the sample sizes are smaller. And so projections are not going to be able to buy into them as much as, you know, maybe the general public is going to want to. And so I think it's going to create some really interesting draft dynamics to see, you know, the guys who really had that explosive 2020 um, how how they're treated in projections, how they're treated by the market, and, and really what the the optimal answer is there. Yeah, I mean, I think the schedule too from last season also mm-hmm. made things really strange. Uh, central pitchers only facing central division lineups that created some pretty unique advantages for some of the pitchers in the pool. With all of these weird inputs factoring in, how much are you trusting what you see from your projections? For 2021 at this point? I mean, I'm still trusting them, you know, like theoretically it should be able to, to handle this, you know, even the, the strength of schedule stuff, like the bat has always been equipped to handle that. The bat looks at every single at bat that a guy has ever taken and the context of it. And it gives it basically like a, like a, 
you know, a rank in terms of difficulty. Well, this at bat was in cores against a really bad pitcher and it was 90 degrees that day. It was really easy to hit that home run. So the guy gets less credit for it. So like it was able to do it last year, you know, with the, with the scheduling, the way it was very, very easily, which is nice. And, and it gives me more confidence that it is accounting for some of these things correctly. Um, now, obviously I do think projections in general, not just mine, but every system are probably going to be a little less accurate this year, maybe a little wider range of outcomes uh, because of, of the sample sizes last year. You know, if, if that season had gone on another uh, 80 games or whatever it would have been in a normal season, the sample size would be bigger. The guys who did have those legitimate breakouts would have the bigger sample sizes to justify it, whereas now there were some legitimate breakouts that we can't fully buy into, and so that's just kind of the, the nature of the game right now. And as far as rookies go, like there, there was no minor league data last year. So like rookies are, are the biggest challenge to begin with next year. Like, I don't even want to think about how good rookie projections or how bad rookie projections are going to wind up being. <laughs> are, are there any of those guys who had 2020 breakouts and really like contained to 2020, not necessarily someone who started breaking out in 2019 or had a really strong 2019 and then took it to another level in 2020, but contained 2020 breakouts that you are looking at sort of askance going into 2021? Uh, one guy that kind of sticks out is, uh, I guess, Randy Arozarena for, for the Rays. Sure. Um, like, he just seemed to come out of nowhere. Like, as far as I know, he wasn't really considered like, you know, like an elite prospect or anything like that. And, and he was just like off the charts good last year. And so mm-hmm. I was a little, you know, worried to see how the bat was going to, you know, treat him coming into this year. It does seem to like him a good amount. I think it's one of the higher systems on him. Um, but like guys like that are just very hard to get a feel for, especially him because he didn't even play the 60 games. Like he played what, 20 games, 25 games plus some playoff action, but mm-hmm. he was still like, he was just incredible. So, so those are the kind of guys that, um, you know, might be worth taking a deeper dive into that the projections really, and, and I don't like speaking bad about projections because I do trust them. I do think on average, they are, you know, basically the best snapshot that we have of a guy. Mm-hmm. But a guy like that, you know, you might want to take a, a little more of a look into. So you went to scout school. You graduated from scout school a while back. And what you see with your eyes probably doesn't always agree with your projections. I mean, there have to be some players and situations where you're like, I see one thing, but the numbers are telling me something different. <laughs> so from your perspective, just watching a Rosa Arena. How much do you want to believe the projections based on the types of adjustments that teams tried to make in the postseason and how he handled those adjustments? It still wasn't that much time for the league to put a book together on him, but just from that scouting lens, do you trust what you saw relative to those pretty lofty projections that he has? Yeah, I do. I mean, honestly, I, I think a, a real case could be made for you know treating him as better than the projections are treating him as. Like You watch him and he did look really good. And you look at the StatCast stuff, and those numbers were really good. It's just a matter of of the sample sizes. So, you know, like, you do the best you can with it. Um, And, I mean, the good news as far as, like, scouting stuff goes is a lot of this stuff is starting to get quantified now, especially on the pitching side. Like, there, there are still some things that you can only really see with a scout side, but there's a lot of things that used to we used to have to rely on scouts for that now we don't have to, like it's getting quantified and codified and and we can actually build these into 
into projections, which is really nice. Are, are there any projector metrics, excuse me, that are worth waiting more based on a 60 game season than you would coming off of 162? I mean, really, it's all kind of, you know, the same, you know, stabilization points for stats don't change based on how, how big the season is. It's just a matter of, mm-hmm. you know, you know, cause if, if one stabilizes after a hundred at bats and another stabilizes after 600 at bats, well, in a third of a season, like we're still only getting a fraction of the, you know, a fraction of the way to each it's proportional. Um, so, I mean, the things that stabilize quicker, sure. Strikeout rates, walk rates, um, you know, barrels, exit velocity, stuff like that. Um, you know, they're, they're going, we're going to be able to divine more meaning from them in a shorter season, but that doesn't mean that the data from that shorter season is sufficient in and of itself. We still do need to regress. We still do need to account for historical data, the same as we would any other season, you know, ever. So when I look at projections, this goes beyond the bats, any set of projections, there are certain types of players that seem to have, I guess, more noisy outputs than others. And I'm probably using the wrong statistical term, but an example, this last year, Kyle Tucker struck me as a player who's really limited time in the big leagues, almost penalized him too much relative to his track record, you know, age to level in the upper levels of the minor leagues. So I just looked at Kyle Tucker and said, projections are great, but this projection is not great. I want Kyle Tucker at the price because it could go very right. This year, I think Gavin Lux is that kind of player, right? I mean, what he was doing in the upper levels of the minor leagues is elite. What he's done in limited times in the big league, big leagues, not quite as great. Are there certain types of players that truly have more volatility in their projections, or am I just shoehorning my bias, in this case, maybe uh, what I think of players because they're hailed as top prospects into my analysis? Yeah, so I mean, I think those top prospect guys certainly have that extra volatility because they have that high-end upside. That guy who has that pedigree always has the chance to get up to that great or elite level, whereas, you know, a guy who was never that top prospect, who's always kind of just been mediocre and projects for more or less the same thing, probably doesn't have that volatility, that range of outcomes. He doesn't have as much of a chance of getting uh, to that elite level. And then also just based on on the sample size, like a guy like Lux is is a great example. You know, he didn't play much in the big leagues in 2019. People expected him to in 2020 and they, they sent him down right away and we don't have any minor league data to go on. So we really don't have very much Gavin Lux data at all from 2020. And so projections kind of like the, there's no new information about him. Like we don't know what to do with guys like that. So I think that's really going to be one of the big wild cards this year is what guys did in those, you know, side camps, you know, whatever, whatever they were mm-hmm. called uh, that, that we just really have <laughs> no insight sites. into. <laughs> right. The alternate sites. I, I'm happy that we're going to get to, I mean, we're still going to be talking about them in some way, but happy that we're going to get to uh, at least not have to focus on them in a way that felt like just, I don't know, felt like we should have been talking about a, CIA sort of movie with the uh, alternate site and not just uh, baseball players who are trying to get some reps in as they are not with any sort of uh, team uh, in the 2020 season. Uh, someone else along those lines who uh, who jumps out at me is um, 
is Nick Madrigal. Obviously, we're not expecting too much power from him, but uh, a pretty decent uh, batting average OBP split last season for him. And something that I always like to consider, all three of us are football guys too, and we always talk about environment in football, right? The, the players around you, the offensive environment you're going to be playing in. We don't get necessarily that much talk about it in baseball. Obviously, it's something we think about, but not to the extent that we do in the football game. Um, I really like, and I'm not alone in this, uh, with the, this White Sox uh, lineup and the, the environment that all these guys are going to get to hit in. How much of that goes into the way that we look at projections going into this season? Yeah, so projections definitely take into account environment, I think to the extent that it can be quantified. You know, we, we know mm-hmm. how good guaran U.S. Cellular guaranteed guaranteed rate. Is that what it's called now? Guaranteed, God, I, I guaranteed hate when rate. teams change the park names. Just something generic. Like, whatever, uh, I don't know. There's some park changes. Oh, Miller. Miller changes name to something completely generic and random this year. I'm not going to remember it. Um, but yeah, like, we can account for that park. We can account for his road schedule and the parks that he's going to play in on the road. We can account for um, the weather at various times a year in those parks. We can account for the quality of the opposition. We can account for all of that very easily in terms of like, oh, and in terms of like runs and RBIs, we can account for, well, he hits mm-hmm. in a good lineup, so he's going to score more runs, get more right, RBIs. Right. But in terms of like uh, the more like subjective, like motivation factors, like, oh, he's on a good team. They're, you know, young and exciting and they're trying to like prove something and make the playoffs and whatever. Uh, that that doesn't go into a projection because how can it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the broader problem that people have with projections is they don't really take the time to understand what they really do well and what they can't do particularly well. There's one pretty obvious input that I think people overlook, and it's playing time. And I know with the bat projections, you can run them through the fan graphs, auction calculator. It's a great tool. It's really helpful to have that. The playing time for those projections comes from fan graphs depth charts, right? I mean, and that's run by... A human. I think Jason Martinez leads that effort, and he does a really good job, but it's really hard. Projecting playing time is extremely <laughs> difficult, and it's really important as far as how it shapes the output of the projections that you're going to get running something like the auction calculator. So how much do you project playing time for yourself, and how much of that is a factor that people tend to overlook in your estimation? Yeah, playing time is huge, especially the deeper the league is, the more playing time is really going to matter. Like we play together in in labor NL and in a league like that, like playing time is key. It doesn't matter if a guy is necessarily like a bad hitter or whatever. If he's going to play every day, I'll take him for for a couple bucks. You know, I would much rather have like last year as an example, like I know late in drafts, people love to take shots on on the, you know, the biggest up and coming prospect or like whatever. So, you know, people will take a shot on a guy like Joe Adele. Joe Adele, what did he, what did he play last year? Like, you know, a tenth of the season or something like that? I would much yeah. rather have the worst hitter on the Pirates that's going to play every day than Joe Adele late in a draft a lot of times because that playing time matters. But it's hard to project. It's hard to project playing time. Like you said, I don't try to do it myself. I don't have the time for it. I don't necessarily <laughs> trust myself more than a guy like Jason Martinez and his team at Fangraphs. Um, and so... You know, that's definitely a spot where, especially if you see a projection and you think that the playing time looks off to you, like you think, oh, that guy should be playing way more this year. He has a stronger path to playing time or whatever. Um, That's something that you can kind of adjust in the projection and 
and potentially gain some edge with because it is more of a sub- subjective thing. Like you said, there's not a way to quantify it necessarily. Let's get back to some specific player stuff here and looking again at 2020 as we get ready for this 2021 season. You talk about Randy Rosarena being someone who uh, you want to believe in and you know that the uh, even though the sample size wasn't there, even compared with everyone else in the league last year, looking like someone who maybe we can uh, trust a little bit uh, despite what we uh, don't have in terms of full-on sample to go on this season. Is there anyone else on the opposite side of that? Is there someone who worries you a little bit with what they did in 2020 who maybe is seemingly getting overdrafted as we are really just starting to form a consensus around ADP and things like that? Oh, I mean, there's always going to be guys that get overdrafted, um, especially this year. Like, I think one of the biggest Mm -hmm. keys to success this year is going to be not overreacting to, you know, 2020 success because the sample sizes were smaller. And I'm trying to think of like someone in particular that I think is being overdrafted, but like, uh, I don't know, like Tim Anderson seems to be going really high based on like Mm -hmm. one really good season. Like he's, his ADP is like 40 or something right now, I think. And, and Tim Anderson, like he's, you know, in his late twenties, he's been around forever. He's been, I mean, I guess he was good in 2019 too. Um, but a lot of that has just been Babbitt driven. And so especially when we're dealing with small sample sizes, you also have to consider how a guy did what he did. And if he's doing it via means that are normally exceptionally noisy, especially in the smaller sample size, like is really hard to trust. So, you know, last year he had a 383 Babbitt, the years before 399, you know, combined, it's basically one full season worth of plate appearances. There's no way you can trust him to be that type of guy. Derek, you got to tell you got to tell Derek Van Riper, you got to tell Derek Hardy your uh, little uh, draft idea that you threw out on last week's episode no, so yeah, about we, the uh, guys who have taken a step back, maybe. Yeah, so I mean, I think you could more reasonably than ever this year build a team entirely of fallers. Like you could just take last year's ADP and this year's ADP and say, I'm only going to draft players who are cheaper now than they were a year ago, and I think that could actually work. I like, guess goofy as that is. There's always some bounce-back value in players like that. There's a lot of it anyway. But it seems like there's going to be more than ever this year because of people overreacting to what we just saw. I completely agree. I mean, a lot of times those guys just naturally become targets of mine because of of the recency bias that, that people tend to exhibit. You know, this guy was bad last year. I saw it with my own eyes. I know he was bad last year. I think he's going to be bad again this year. And they get overdrafted and people don't account for for the randomness of it. And the guy bounces back a little bit and you get a value out of it. Um, and this year, I mean, I think you're spot on, especially with how small the sample sizes were. It's even more likely that the guy just got unlucky last year. So, so yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, bad luck or even just a, a nagging injury or something that mm-hmm. held on for 15 or 20 games. I mean, that's a third of the season if it was a 20-game lingering problem that someone was trying to play through. Uh, I saw a thread... It was less than Dave and, and yourself, and I think a few other people were involved. I think 90% of less than Dave's tweets are about Zach Plesak. He loves <laughs> Zach Plesak. The market actually loves Zach Plesak relative to projections. Oh, yeah. And it's a tale of two different seasons. I mean, we didn't see strikeouts in 2019 when he debuted. Obviously, that jumped. Only eight starts from him last year. He had that little bit of missed time because of his suspension for breaking curfew. Plesak is exactly the type of player where even if I – trust what I see I don't have to trust what I see because the price is too high like the price is the excuse Mm -hmm. not to bother with him because he has to be really good 
to even break even if his ADP is going to be in that 60 to 75 range with a chance to maybe creep up a little bit. Uh, do you have any reason to draft a player like that when the price hits that level? Like, is that a good reason to just step out on a player when the projections and past results are, are so misaligned? Yeah, for me, that that's exactly the kind of guy that I'm I'm never going to be in on. Like, Plesak in particular, like I, I look at the list of the guys that the bat likes most and least relative to, to ADP, and he's one of the guys that it likes the least, and I don't think it's just the bat. The bat is actually higher on him, I think, than Steamer and Zips um, and some others. Um, and, and part of it is, I don't want to necessarily say that that the projections are absolutely correct on Plesak, especially a guy like that, because a lot of that discussion on Twitter, we talked about, you know... I, I'm not just out there trying to say the projections are right and you're wrong and suck it and just leave, get out of it. Like, no. Like, I'm trying to understand where people are coming from and trying to make my own process better. And a guy like Plesak is a guy that I've already identified as someone that I do think projections are potentially uh, too low on because he's done something that the projections aren't accounting for. As of right now, I don't believe any projection system is accounting for changes in pitch mix or pitch quality. And that's mm-hmm. something that the bad X for pitchers is going to do hopefully soon um, in development. <laughs> uh, but a guy like Plesak, like last year, he threw his fastball only like a third of the time. Fastballs are on average the worst pitch you can throw. You throw them because they make your other pitches better, but pitchers are probably throwing their fastball too often. So Plesak scaled it back, throwing his breaking and his off-speed stuff more. Well, guess what? Now he's a better pitcher and the projections don't realize it yet because the sample is so small last year. I still think the price is probably too high on him anyway. Like you really, really need him to continue doing that and be really, really good to justify the price. But I do think that projections are probably too low on him. And hopefully when the bad X comes out, it will not be. <laughs> it will be just exactly where it needs to be. <laughs> it's something I love, the change in pitch mix. It's something I've been looking at as I've really started to uh, to dig into these pitchers. And Kenta Maeda is another one. Who, uh, who jumps out at me is a guy who significantly altered his pitch mix and found a new level last season, found a significant new level in strikeout rate, jumping way up to almost a third, whereas his previous high was in the high 20s. And something else these guys share is uh, the fact that they did all their pitching in the Central Division last season. Derek and I talked about this a little bit last week, but would love to get your take on it as well. 12 of the top 22 starters right now by ADP pitched in the Central last year. A few of them, Trevor Bauer, Hugh Darvish, no longer in the Central. All of them are going to be facing competition across the league. We're talking, I mean, last year, Pirates, Tigers, Royals, even a team like the Cubs that has some big names had a ton of swing and miss last season. Now you open it up to seemingly what's going to be a tougher schedule. Uh, Do you concern yourself at all? Maybe not with someone like Shane Bieber or necessarily you, Darvish, but when you do start to get to guys like Zach Plesak, Corbin Burns, maybe Carlos Carrasco making the move to the NL East. Does it worry you more with guys like that? Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely going to make a difference. You know, quality of competition matters. If you throw Zach Plesak or Zach Davies or or the worst pitcher in baseball, I don't know who it is. You can throw Antonio (laughs) Senzatella, whoever you want, against a team of little leaguers, they're going to look like a freaking ace. (laughs) They're going to have a zero ERA with a 27K per nine. And, uh... (laughs) And you're, you're going to have to adjust for that. And obviously, we're not dealing with extremes like that, but it does exist at the major league level. There are varying levels of talent, and you have to adjust for it. And that's something the bat should automatically already be doing, which is really nice. So I don't have to put extra thought into it. 
but it doesn't surprise me that the market, it sounds like, is maybe not adjusting for that properly. Mm-hmm. Because it's hard to do just eyeing it. Like, you know, it's right. it's a small-ish edge, but it's in there, and it's something that a projection can catch that, that a human person probably can't do as well. There's a, another changing variable all the time, the baseball. And it sounds <laughs> like the ball will be deadened for 2021. Uh, so Eno and I were looking at some hitters that you know were – Lower in terms of average home run distance, looking at those guys as maybe the hitters that were most likely to lose a little bit if the ball plays as expected. Uh, How do you try and even account for something like the ball changing as much as it does, right? We had the rabbit ball back in 2019. We have a potentially deadened ball in 2021. Is that one of those things that you can't really adjust for until we get some data in season? Uh, It's not something we can perfectly account for. And once we get in season... That stabilizes very quickly. Within a few games, we're, we're going to pretty much know how, how the new environment's going to play. Before the season, though, we're just making guesses. The good news is this year, we actually have some information to base those guesses on. In previous years, I go to project the league environment every year, and I'm like, I, I don't know, like a little bit of this, a little bit of this, a little bit of this, and yeah, like that. that's, that's my projection. Uh, this year... We kind of know, okay, it's going to be potentially 5% lower home runs across the board relative to the old ball. And that's nice. I can actually, that's tangible. I can go into the projections and I can say, okay, this is what I was going to project. um, But now based on this new information, I'm going to do this instead. Um, And so that's really nice. Um, Accounting for it impacting different players to different degrees, that's more difficult. That's, I mean, this came out two days ago. Not something I've had any time to look into yet. Um, I do know there is some some research out there on it. Like uh, Connor Kirkon has posted some stuff, like trying to identify the type of guys that uh, it might impact more or less than others based on the ranges of their their exit velocities and launch angles that they live in, and you know the types of guys that are going to be living near the fences with their home runs more than others, I think is kind of what we're trying to identify here. Mm -hmm. And so there will be some of those guys that get affected more or less than others. Um, But, you know, it's, it's an imperfect science. Uh, When you say that this is something that stabilizes quickly over just a couple of games, are we talking like full season long year over year? Are you looking more at like, so the first couple of games, right? We're saying April 1st to April 8th. Are you comparing April 1 to April 8, 2021 data versus, you know, that same time frame? And obviously not 2020, but 2019 uh, taking just two years out of it. Yeah. Essentially that's kind of how it's going to work. And and once, you know, we get to April 8th, the the stability of those stats is, is quite high. And so by then, I think mm-hmm. we really should know um, how the ball is playing. And unless it changes again, kind of how it should continue to play for the rest of the year. Uh, of course, you need to make some adjustments. You need to account for the early season stuff. You need to account for for weather in particular. Early in the season, it's going to be a lot colder than it is in July. So you need to adjust the numbers up a little bit to account for like neutral weather. Um, but, you know, we can kind of get a, a pretty good sense after just a few games, a few days worth of baseball. Now, you kind of hinted at this, the bat X for pitchers, it's getting close. Is it going to be a couple of weeks, maybe? I mean, uh, you don't have to drop a date or anything, but uh, I'm really looking forward to it. So how close (laughs) are we, and and what other factors? You mentioned quality of stuff being mixed in. What else are you going to be kind of factoring in for uh, the pitching projections within the bat X? Yeah, we're probably not quite a couple of weeks away. I think it is going to be a little longer than that. My, My hope is to get it out before the season. 
uh, starts at some point. I don't have a date. <laughs> I don't know if that's necessarily going to be a date I'm able to hit, but I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, but shortly thereafter, probably, if not. Um, and it's going to account for, I mean, basically everything I would want it to be able to account for based on, um, you know, all the, this pitch level stuff that we have. Pitchers, velocities and movement and spin rate. Um, and, and all, you know, basically all the new stuff that's coming out too. You know, we have, now that we have Hawkeye, we can, we can measure spin mirroring and, and seam shifted wake. And, um, you know, there's going to be all sorts of interactions between pitches. Like pitches don't exist in a vacuum. You know, a changeup doesn't, isn't good because necessarily entirely because of its movement. It's good because of how it looks relative to its fastball. So things like tunneling and things like that. Um, that that's all going to be in there. So really it's going to be just a full comprehensive measure of the quality of a guy's stuff and um, how often he uses each type of pitch. And so I really think it's going to be great and it's going to help uh, the bat X identify changes in talent much quicker than it's previously been able to just using strikeouts and walks and swinging strikes and like whatever um, having the, this real, um, your granular data is going to help us do that. If all of a sudden a guy who normally throws his fastball 60% of the time is throwing it 30%, well, guess what? He's going to be better because sliders and curves and changeups are way better than fastballs in general. And that's an immediate change that we'll be able to identify. We'll see guys who beginning of the season, they're projected for a four or five ERA. You know, after a couple starts, maybe they're projected for a three, five ERA because they've completely changed something. And that's never something a projection system has been able to do before. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. Hey, what do you say we get on over into a little bit of a player spotlight here? Derek and I are trying to do this every episode. Zero in on one guy, really expand on him, talk about him a little bit and what we expect for 2021. Uh, the way I did this, Derek, was I basically uh, just went to the bad X. I uh, pulled up the uh, WOBA, and I was sorted by WOBA. Um, for 2021 and compared that against ADP and was looking for someone who you had a projected will before the bad X had a projected will before that stood out in a good way for the player compared against his ADP and the guy who jumped out at me was Vlad Guerrero Jr. So let's get into Vlad Guerrero Jr. a little bit here. Uh, got an ADP that places him in the late 50s. So what we're talking maybe middle of the fifth round in a, in a 12 teamer, uh, yeah, right middle of the fourth in a 15-teamer, and uh, we all have been in love with the talent since uh, we basically knew that Vlad Sr. had a son who was on his way. We haven't quite seen it in the majors, but uh, Bad X appears very high on him. So uh, give us a little bit of a, an explanation as to why uh, you're still feeling very good about Vlad Jr. coming into this season. Yeah, Vlad Jr. is is just a guy who should be better than what his numbers have actually been. He doesn't strike out a lot and he has monster power potential. You know, that is a, a killer combination, you know, so most hitters who are doing that are way better than like the slightly above average guy that Vlad has been so far. You know, all of his exit velocity metrics are like at the top of the chart. You know, his, his max exit velocity the last couple of years, 100th percentile and 99th percentile. You know, the top 5% of his exit velocities, 99th and 99th. Um, you know, his exit velocity, um, the percentage of balls in the air that he hits 100 miles an hour or more, you know, like 80th percentile. Like, it's just all fantastic. Uh, the big knock on him, of course, is that he 
doesn't get the ball in the air enough. All his launch angle stuff is way too low. Uh, But he still should be hitting more home runs, I think, than he actually is. And there's always the chance that he's going to um, increase that launch angle a little bit. But even if he doesn't, like he's a guy who hits the ball hard and his barrels are still above average, even with the low launch angles. So I think Vlad has a lot of upside. I think he has a lot of mean value. And, uh, you know, it's, we don't know where Toronto is going to be playing yet. Like it sounds like right. maybe, probably not actually in Toronto. He is being projected in Toronto right now. So if they're in a less hitter-friendly environment, his projection will go down. But, you know, if they're in Toronto or, you know, just, just the the league, the parks that he'll be playing in in that division, playing in Yankee Stadium, playing in Camden Yards, playing in Fenway Park, that that's all going to be a good thing. There's also kind of this Occam's razor sort of explanation for, for why I have faith in Vlad Jr. still. He turns 22 in March. Like it's yeah, he's still so young. He's so young. It's incredible <laughs> what he's been able to do already. And I think one guy that gives me some hope that this is the year for Vlad Jr. is Raphael Devers because similar body type, lots of hit tool. Mm-hmm. The power showed up really in year three from Devers. Similar arc in terms of the exit velocities ticking up. I think when you when you enter the league at that age, like Vlad did, and there were some pretty interesting articles that came out right away that the league treated him like a veteran from day one. They, they pitched him like he was a middle-of-the-order hitter for five years already. That makes it a little harder to adjust when you're getting the legitimate veteran treatment in how teams are approaching you, too. So I, I'm right there with you. I mean, I, the numbers have always looked really good. If it all clicks, it's going to be ridiculous. And uh, I would I would buy in on, on the 31 home <laughs> runs that the Bad X is, is forecasting for Vlad Jr. this year. Can, can you guys remember a time when... I mean, 50, 55.1 is the NFBC ADP since January 15th. You said Derek, right? 20, can he turn 22 years old? Uh, Derek Carty, you said all the things he's already done so well. And he's just a young guy, right? Like the fantasy community loves young, shiny new things coming up that are potentially superstars. I mean, 55, I mean, it's still a, it's still a decent ADP. But given what we thought Vlad was going to be immediately, not everyone's Juan Soto, newsflash, right? And then what he still can be, how young he still is, what the ceiling potential is if and when he does break through. It feels almost like the community at large has given up on him. And I just can't, I'm struggling to find a parallel to Vlad Guerrero with where he has, where he is in his career and the ADP we're seeing on him this season to anyone previously. And it just, it just, it screams value it screams buying opportunity well, he's, he's not as shiny anymore like he he's he's been in the league for two years and he hasn't set the world on fire so the shine is gone i think and it really shouldn't be but that's the way the market treats these things they're they're moving on to the next thing yeah always every single time Luis robert goes earlier Randy Rosarena goes around the same time. It's just kind of funny how the that's crazy. That's crazy, and though that's nothing. That's no knock on those. That's that's, that's wild. No, yeah, we'll wild. see with guys that haven't debuted Maybe not Robert, though, but, too. We'll yeah. see a guy that hasn't <laughs> debuted get drafted ahead of a prospect who came up and struggled for twenty games. It's like, well, uh-huh. getting there and struggling is probably better than not getting yeah. there at all in terms of the actual Lucas Giolito effect. Yeah. Uh, well, there's one other kind of scouting and projections question. It's an offshoot of, of Vlad. You mentioned doesn't hit the ball in the air enough. He needs to adjust his attack angle and actually uh, drive the ball in the air more often. I've I've seen some heard some some things about Wander Franco not having, you know, great stat cast numbers yet and it came from the prospects live crew, they're really sharp. And I think what they were saying is it just means he's not head and shoulders 
the clear-cut number one prospect in the pool light years ahead of everybody else. It's just a, a pump the brakes a little bit on his elite, you know, forecast at this point. Like, maybe he's going to be elite, but he's not 10 times better than the number two prospect. When you look at a young player like this, whether it's Wander, whether it's Vlad Jr., we're talking about guys that are like 18 to 22 years old. Do you think it's risky to account for average exit velocity and max exit velocity and launch angle and, and start to say, oh, this guy is going to fall into this bucket because at this young age, he's not doing this thing that a superstar would ordinarily do. Like, Do you think we're, we're going to be too quick to write players off with some of the, the newer data, especially as that becomes more readily available for minor leaguers? Yeah. Um, so, so we don't have that publicly for minor leaguers, so it's not going into my projections. But I do think people in general are too quick to write players off based on a small sample size uh, you know, of data. Like you said, he's young. There are a lot of things that scouts like about this guy. If the exit velocity isn't there yet, there's time for it to get there. You look at the age curves of exit velocity, he should keep going up. Like that's, that's how it works when you're that young. And so, yeah, it's not a great thing. Like you'd prefer to see it there, especially something like exit velocity. But if the scouts are saying, well, even though the exit velocity isn't there, we see based on his mechanics, based on his load, based on whatever, we think he can start generating it. Um, you know, as he gets older, a little stronger, whatever, um, then then that you have to consider that too. So it's especially when you're talking about scouting, it's always it's always a balance. Yeah, I scribbled down a few other bad X divergences from ADP, all in the players' favor, like we talked about with Vlad Jr. And uh, I just want to throw them at you. And really, Derek, you can just take any of these and run with them and explain why bad X likes them better than the market likes them to this point. I've got five guys down. One of them, Vlad's new teammate, George Springer. Bryce Harper, Justin Turner, of course, still looking for a home. Uh, Reese Hoskins and Jesse Winker also uh, on this list. So really, uh, just a dealer's choice. You can take any of them and go with them. But uh, just want to hear why you think these guys are why Bad X thinks why these guys are going to be a little bit better than they're being treated so far in early drafts. Yeah, so I mean, there's there's a bunch of them that I, that I really like there. So uh, Justin mm-hmm. Turner, for one. One, I think it's because maybe he doesn't have a team yet. Uh, but right. assuming he gets a team, like... He's going to, right? Like, we know he's going to. He's a he's a great hitter. Like, he hasn't had a weighted on base average below 370 in the last four seasons. Like, this is a guy who's a legitimately good hitter. Yeah, he's not going to steal bases. Yeah, he doesn't have monster power. But he is a good hitter, and he's just going lower than he should be because he's old and boring, because he doesn't steal bases, doesn't hit a ton of home runs, isn't young and shiny. And so guys like that are always, I think, great values. Um, George Springer... Used to be young and shiny, still really, really good. Um, going into a good environment, you know, with the Blue Jays, like the Blue Jays, I, I, last I checked, I think the Bad X has the Blue Jays projected as the best offense in the American League. Like, this is a really, really good offense. Again, we don't know where they're playing at home yet, but Springer's a guy, like, his numbers are incredible. When he signed with the Blue Jays, they put out a tweet about it, but you know, like, you look at his StatCast stuff. They're fantastic. The Bad X thinks he's a top 10 hitter in baseball. His barrel barrel rate the last couple of years has been 92nd and 85th percentile. You know, his max exit velocity has been around 90th or 95th like every single year. His uh his launch angle stuff is is pretty good. Last year it went up a little bit even, you know, especially hitting home runs in that kind or hitting balls in that kind of like home run zone of like, you know, 23 to 34 degrees ish. You know, that was like 86th percentile last year. So, uh, like, he's just 
he does a lot of really good things, but he's just like a little older and a little boring, I guess. And and people just they they underrate those types of guys. But you look at all these guys; they're doing really good things. Hoskins, people, he started so slow last year, and I think the perception people have of him is like, well, he's just never lived up to what we thought he was going to be, and he was really bad last year. He wasn't even bad last year. Last year was one of the best years of his career when all was said and done. And all the supporting metrics were there the entire time. So um, it's just these types of guys where the, the luster has kind of worn off a little bit. Those are the guys that you should be buying. Yeah, and Jesse Winker is a former shiny toy a little bit too. Yeah, wasn't in, very much. wasn't like a top, top prospect. Wasn't ever in the, the Wander, Vlad Jr. conversation. Never like a number one on prospect list sort of player. But we're looking at one year where the K rate jumped after three years where he was in that like 13 to 17% range. He draws walks, and when he hits the ball, he hits it pretty hard, too. Like There could be a massive power breakout coming from Jesse Winker, and it, I feel like that should be sort of obvious. We shouldn't even need projections to see that as a possibility for Jesse Winker, so I get the sense that you and I might be bidding on him uh, in NL labor here in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Probably. I mean, I'm kind of surprised to hear that he's going lower than projections because he had a really good season last year. He had 12 home runs yeah. in less than 200 at-bats. You know, mm-hmm. you prorate that to 600. That's what, like 45 or 50 home runs? Like, how are people not like Jesse Winker? Like, power, let me have that. I don't get it. It's nuts. Uh, 40% home run to fly ball rate last year in the shortened season, but he can hit to all fields. I think as long as he doesn't lose playing time just by the fact that he's a left-handed hitter and they could throw a righty in there to platoon with him, which I know, the the lefty masher, I know you are as anti-lefty <laughs> masher as anybody out there. Uh, I don't know if the Reds are as anti-lefty masher as you are, though, so that's, that's my one little fear, but at, at the price... <laughs> I'll take that chance. Yeah, no, platoon splits exist, especially like when we're talking in a macro sense. Like you don't want to throw mm. Jesse, Jesse Winker out there against the lefty if you don't have to. And I think that's kind of always been one of the things with him. Like he's never gotten more than like 400 plate appearances in a year because they, mm-hmm. they do that kind of platooning with him. So that that's definitely a concern. Yeah, a little bit of injury risk in there too. Had a couple of wrist injuries when he was younger. So that factors in as well. But definitely an interesting kind of mid-round, mid-late round option and Again, pretty sure we're both going to be in on them when we get to that NL labor auction <laughs> in a couple of weeks. Uh, Derek, before we let you go, uh, let our listeners know where they can get the bat and the bat X and where they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Derek Cardi. You can find the season-long projections for the bat. They're out now over at Fangraphs and at EV Analytics. During the season, you can find the DFS version of the bat over at Roto-Grinders. That also comes with some season-long stuff, you know, projections for tomorrow, for the week ahead, different uh, types of stuff like that for setting your fab and, and pickups and whatnot. And uh, for sports betting, um, you know, game projections, money lines, over-unders, stuff like that during the season uh, over at EV Analytics also. Very cool. Definitely give Derek a follow. Be sure to check out his work. If you're playing DFS and you're not using the bat, you're playing from behind. So do something about it. Sign up. Derek, thanks a lot for the time today. Thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. For Derek Cardi and Michael Beller, I'm Derek Van Riper. Thanks for listening to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We are back with you on Tuesday.